Good evening. Today's reading is from Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42. It's a marathon, so stick with me. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they sat them before the council. And excuse me, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by, the, by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is God's word. 
Amen. Sweet, you can go ahead and have a seat. This is a long story, but it is a good one. So good evening, church. My name is Daniel Bidney, and I have the joy of serving on staff here as one of the college directors. And I have the great privilege to fill this spot tonight and preach the word of God to you. So tonight, uh, between Christmas and New Year's, we always kind of do a one-off sermon. So tonight, specifically, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you part of my story so you can understand why um, this topic is so important to me. Specifically, evangelism. When I got to college my freshman year, um, I had been warned by the church I grew up in to not leave the Lutheran church because other people had done that when they went to this school specifically. And so I didn't want to be one of those people, so I planted my flag and I said, okay, I'm going to be one of those people. I'm not going to leave this church. And, and growing up, I, had, I knew the stories of the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ. And, and I treated this like a get-out-of-jail-free card to do whatever I wanted to do. Well, by God's sure grace and his providence, within weeks of arriving at Wayne State College, I met a man named Nelson. And Nelson, by, by God's sovereignty, was in his sixth year of college, and he had a passion to tell everyone about Jesus. Now, you think I would realize that this was a good thing, but rather I believed that it was not. I would go out of my way to argue with him, specifically when he was discipling my neighbors, mainly Steve, our worship leader. So he'd be discipling Steve, and I would go out of my way to argue with this man. I would leave, and Steve would tell Nelson, man, this guy's never going to get it. Well, I then met a guy named Johnny who was incredibly persistent with me and would not let it go. He, he wanted me to go to the, this conference uh, over, new, over New Year's, and he would not let it go. He was incredibly persistent. So between Nelson and Johnny, I would, I would go back to my dorm room, and I would dust off the Bible that I'd never read, and I would wrestle with what he was telling me, with what they were telling me was true. And long story short, God used the arguments that I had with Nelson and the persistence of Johnny to ultimately lead me to going to this conference where, where God would ultimately save me. And now I share this part of my story because I want to talk to you tonight about evangelism. And tonight we're going to see this idea unfold. Preaching the gospel is worth it. Okay, preaching the gospel is worth it. Now, I know we are headed towards the new year, and new years typically bring about resolutions. It serves as a time on the calendar to reflect on what we want to be true of our lives at the end of the year. And what I want, and, and what this staff ultimately wants to be true of all of us, to be true of this church, is to do what it says in 2 Timothy 4, 5, to do the work of an evangelist. Our prayer is that providence would be marked by evangelistic zeal. So with that in mind, let us look at where we're going to go tonight. And we're going to look at that, this idea in three ways. So preaching the gospel is worth it is the main idea. And the three ways we're going to look at it are first, preaching the gospel is worth it because it saves. Second, preaching the gospel is worth it despite persecution. And third, even when dishonored, preaching the gospel is worth it. Okay, so first, preaching the gospel is worth it because it saves. And we're going to start in verse 12. 
But before we do, let me give you a quick snapshot of where we are in the book of Acts. So we're jumping in in the middle of it. So Acts is Luke's writing of the early church and what the Holy Spirit was doing at this time. And, and right before verse 12 in the, the fifth chapter, we see deceit happen in the church. And we see God pronounce judgment on the people who were being deceptive by killing them. So then we see a transition in verse 12. So let's read. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. So that even, they even carried out the sick in the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. So there's a lot going on here, but I want to focus tonight on the, what I would argue is one of the important verses of this section. So verse 14 says, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. And because of this, People took notice, and God had given the church favor and used signs and wonders and healings to point people ultimately back to the Lord. The gospel was going forth. How? We must understand how the gospel was going forth. Because here it's easy to assume that the gospel is going forth by healing and signs and by their actions, but really that would be an improper translation or interpretation of this text. If we look at the rest of the book of Acts and the rest of the Bible, we see that the gospel goes forth by being proclaimed. In, in Romans chapter 10, in the 14th verse, it says that how can they believe in the one they have not heard? So we know that the people were preaching this gospel. And church, we mustn't miss this. If we miss this, then the rest of the sermon tonight is useless to you. They were preaching the gospel. There's a famous quote uh, that a lot of people like to use, which is one of my least favorite quotes that I've ever heard. All right? And it says this. It says, preach the gospel always. Use words when necessary. That quote is terrible. And let me tell you why. Because this quote sounds good. It, it makes the case that you can come to faith just by your actions. It's not true. People must hear and respond to the preached gospel. They cannot come to faith if they have not heard the gospel. One is saved only by faith, and faith comes from the hearing of the word of God. Church, preaching the gospel is worth it because it is the only thing that saves. The message of the gospel didn't just save people thousands of years ago, but it is still saving today. And let me tell you, there is no greater joy than your own salvation than seeing someone else come to Christ. And church, we have seen this happen amongst us even this year. In city groups, in the college ministry, amongst, around our church, we have seen people cross from death to life, and we've gotten to baptize them up here just a few months ago. But church, we are hungry for more, or we should be. And this isn't just a call for the city group leaders and the people on staff. This is a call for all Christians. 
If you have bowed your knee to Jesus, your call is to preach the gospel because it still saves. If you guys have been around me at all, you've probably heard this story, but, but I'm going to share it again. So when I was in college, um, by God's grace, I got the, the privilege to do and see some amazing things. I got to travel all over the world. I got to watch the sunset over the Aegean Sea. I got to uh, cliff jump into the clear blue waters in Greece. I got to walk through the Colosseum in Rome. I got to stand in the Swiss Alps as it was snowing. I got to watch the quarterfinals of the Euro Cup. That's soccer, for those of you who don't know. France versus Iceland behind the Eiffel Tower with tens of thousands of people. I got to see and do some amazing things. But if you ask me what my favorite moment in college was, it wasn't any of those moments. Those were great moments, but it wasn't any of those moments. My favorite moment in college came the first weekend in November of my sophomore year of college. Beginning of sophomore year, a friend of mine named Parker Anderson had transferred to Wayne, and he had gotten roomed right next to me. And we became friends because he spent more time in my room than I did. And early in the semester, I got the chance to share the gospel with him, and I would periodically ask him this question. He was going to Bible study. He was coming to Crew, which was our college ministry, and I would ask him this question. I would say, do you know yet? What this question represented is, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And he kept saying no. Every time I'd ask him this question, he would say no. And the reason he would say no is because he knew that he did not deserve to go to heaven. But he did not want to admit that he deserved to go to hell. So we stood there in the middle, not knowing what to say. Well, the first weekend in November, my sophomore year, we went to an event called the Weekend of Champions. And while I was leading high school students around, sharing the gospel with them at this, this FCA event, he got put in another huddle. And at this event, there's different sessions where the main speaker is up preaching and then you go and do other things. Well, Saturday night, the first weekend in November, after the main session, Parker walked up to me and grabbed my shirt. I'm like, what are you doing, bro? He said, I know. I said, what do you know? And he said, where I'm going. And I said, where? And he said, heaven. And I said, why? And the gospel had finally been illuminated in him. And he, I watched this man go from death to life. And I watched Parker go from someone who said he could never share the gospel with someone to when he graduated, giving two years of his life to working at City Light in the college ministry. I'll tell you, there was no greater joy in my college career than watching Parker Anderson, one of my best friends, come from death to life. And what if, church, what if at the end of 2021, you got to experience being a part of someone's salvation and you got to baptize them? What if each of you, each one of us in this room got to see this happen? Well, I'm going to tell you that apart from opening your mouth and sharing the gospel with someone, it won't. When one sinner repents, it says that the angels in heaven rejoice at one sinner repenting. There's no greater joy than seeing someone cross from death to life. Even in heaven, the multitudes of angels are singing praises to God at one sinner repenting. And how should we be the same way? Church, preaching the gospel is worth it because it saves. Next, preaching the gospel is worth it despite persecution. Preaching the gospel is worth it despite persecution. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read through the entire next section because obviously it was pretty long. 
um, and our scripture reader graciously read it for us, but I'm going to summarize for you what takes place here, and as I'm doing that, I would encourage you to follow along uh, in your Bibles and see that what I'm saying is actually true. It doesn't matter if I'm up here and I say some good-sounding things, but if it's not in scripture, you shouldn't listen to me. So make sure that what I'm saying is true in scripture, and I'll encourage you to follow along. So I painted the picture that men and women were being saved and healed in the first section, and, and God was doing a mighty work through the apostles. And because of this, the high priest at the time got really jealous and had them arrested for preaching to the people. They were jealous of the influence and power that the apostles began to have because people were coming to faith. Now, in prison, in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord appears before them, and breaks them out of jail. Somehow, without the guards knowing, the angel breaks them out of jail and tells them to go speak to the people all the words of this life. That's what he tells them to do. Go speak to the people all the words of this life. Peter, earlier in Acts, had mentioned, had referred to Jesus as the author of life. And so in this text, and what the angel is talking about is the everlasting life that comes solely from Jesus Christ. And what do the apostles do? They go and do just that. The thing they had just been arrested for, they go back and continue to do. And then when the religious religious leaders go to find them in prison, to their shock, the apostles aren't there. And when the apostles finally found them, they... They very kindly bring them because they were scared of being stoned, again, because the apostles had been given much influence, and the apostles are brought before the entire Senate of Israel. Okay, so I don't know how many people that is, but if you imagine what they would do is they put all the Senate of Israel in a semicircle surrounding the apostles because they wanted to intimidate them. Okay, so in this moment, the apostles are sitting there, all the religious leaders who get to decide their fate, get, who get to decide what happens to them, are sitting around them. And he tells them, why do you keep talking about Jesus when we've told you not to? And then Peter responds this way. And before I read to you how Peter responds, I need you guys to remember that not too long ago, Peter denied Jesus before a little girl. Three times. Peter denied Jesus before a little girl. He was passive and fearful before a little girl. And then, just a short while later, this is how he responds. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. There's a few things to notice here. Peter first says that they must obey God. Several implications. They didn't care about what the people were going to say. They cared about what God And also in saying this, this claim would hit the leaders because the leaders did not want to be perceived as not doing what the Lord would have them do. Next, Peter, if you notice, very boldly blames these men who were sitting around him in a half circle. He blames all of them for the death of Jesus. He puts Jesus' blood on their hands. 
Then, contrary to the opinion of the people sitting in this room, he proclaimed that God had vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the Father. This is the highest honor. They did not believe that Jesus had come back to life, nor did they believe that he was God or worthy of such an honor. And then lastly, Peter said, that they themselves are the witnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus and that they have been given the Holy Spirit and now must testify to these things. In this time, it was uncommon for uneducated, un, um, unschooled men to teach on the things of God. You were to be an educated man in the things of religion in order to do that. Well, now they see these ordinary men who are in the, the temple who are preaching this gospel and people are beginning to come to faith and grow in their influence. The apostles were growing in their influence. So mind you, all this is happening. Peter very boldly calls these people out, every one of them. And the leaders were enraged. Now, it doesn't say this in the text, but, but how would Luke know they were enraged unless the people started to scream or to say things or their bodily um, actions were giving the indication that they were mad? I imagine you, you have all these people who are making it very known that they are mad. Tensions are high, and these, these men wanted to kill the apostles. That's what they wanted to do. Then Gamaliel who was a respected Pharisee. He did not necessarily believe in Jesus or was a Christian, but, but he, he stood up and spoke some sense to them. And he, he presents a case for not killing these men. He, he, he provides two instances where uh, a particular man would rise up and people would follow them. And then when that man died, the followers were dispersed. There were revolts that were happening in this time period, so it was not uncommon. And so Gamaliel reminds the leaders of what was happening, and then he says this in verse 38 and 39. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Gamaliel stands up, says this, and upon hearing that, the leaders decide, well, you're probably right. And not wanting to be viewed as opposing God, they, they took the easy route and said, okay, we won't kill them. But before you release them, beat them with a whip. And in that time, the maximum allowed, the maximum amount of time they're allowed to be whipped was 39 because it was in sets of three. And what they would do is they whip you twice on the back, the bare back, and then once in the chest, and they would repeat it. It doesn't tell us here how many times they were whipped, but, but knowing that these men were enraged, I guarantee you it was probably more rather than less. So the apostles were beaten and then released. Church, these men were not imprisoned, then beaten for preaching a soft message that didn't offend. These men experienced persecution because they preached truth. The gospel is offensive, and we should not try to soften it. They were imprisoned and beaten because they preached the need to repent. 
The gospel message is not simply that Jesus loves you. The gospel message is much more than that. And as a church, we spent this year walking through the Bible in a year. And if you did that, hopefully you began to see a fuller picture of this story. But in the beginning, God created man to be in relationship with him. And us being man decided that we knew better and we rebelled against God. We broke this relationship by sinning against a holy God. And he could no longer dwell with us because he could not be around sin. And the rest of the Old Testament points us to a day when Jesus would come, as we celebrated just a few days ago. And the Old Testament is also filled with the wickedness of man. If you were, if you were here, we walked through Judges and we saw increasingly how wicked men become. And as we look at the Ten Commandments, we see that if you, if you were to read through them, if I were to read through them right now, I would make the case that everyone in here has broken all ten of them. We've broken every one of his commandments. Providence, this is bad news. We have broken God's law, and God is holy, righteous, and just. You and I, based on the law, would stand guilty before God. And if you are here tonight, and you've never actually truly bowed your knee to Jesus, if you've never given your life to him and made him the Lord of your life, this is where you currently stand. Guilty before a holy, righteous God. Church, when Peter preaches the need to repent, this is what he's talking about. The need to repent of our wicked ways. However, we are incapable of doing that because we are sinful to the core. We need someone from the outside to give us a new heart. So God sent Jesus, the perfect son of God, to ultimately live the life that me and you were called to live, to die the death that me and you deserve to die. He was separated from God the Father, experiencing the worst death in history, and me and you deserve that. And three days later, in the greatest moment in history, he conquered death by walking out of the tomb, and he was alive. And then he was ascended to heaven, and he sends us the Holy Spirit, which gives us the new heart, gives us the ability to turn from our wicked ways. It only comes from faith in Christ. The reason the apostles couldn't stop talking about Jesus, the reason my friends Nelson and Johnny could not stop talking about Jesus is because when they truly understood how bad the bad news was, they realized how great the good news was. And they couldn't help but share, even if I hated them. Jesus came and lived the life that we were called to live. Our sin put him there. So church, this is good news. If you have responded in faith to Jesus Christ, this news should anchor your entire life. So preach it. Jesus tells us that the world will hate us if we follow him. We should not be surprised by this. Church, whether you're in North Korea in a prison camp for being a Christian, or you get ostracized at work because you love the people around you enough to share with them by preaching anyways, you are in line with what God commands of you. You must come to a place where you don't care anymore about the persecution you might face. You must plead that God will give you a burden for the lost people around you who are destined to spend eternity in hell. His word, the beauty of it, though, is that he invites us into his mission, but he does not rely upon us to accomplish his mission. So even in preaching it, you get to leave the burden of someone being saved on God. He is with you. 
If you are saved, he is with you always. His word did not return void, and he will use it to accomplish what he will. He is with you in a foreign nation wherein he calls you to preach, maybe even with the result in your death. He is with you even if it means you get fired at work or you get ostracized or ignored. Allow the burden to save to fall on him, but joyfully be used by him despite any persecution that might come. Do not fear persecution. Fear God more. And if we want to even look through what the apostles went through, 11 of the 12 apostles died torturous deaths. And the 12th one was isolated on an island after they failed at killing him. These men knew what they were called to. But they knew the joy of being used by God to preach the gospel. And they wouldn't have had it any other way. Sometime, if you're bored, look up what some of the apostles said at their death. Andrew specifically was hanging on an X on a cross and there were people who were pleading to, for him to get released. And he said no, he wouldn't let them because he knew that this is how God had for him to die. He said he was experiencing such joy as he was preaching the gospel for two days on that cross. He's on an X. He, he preached the gospel for two days while he was being hung on a cross. Preaching the gospel is worth it despite persecution. There's thousands of years of testimonies of Christians to testify to that. The apostles understood this. And my prayer is that you would too. And this leads me to the final idea tonight. Even when dishonored, preaching the gospel is worth it. Even when dishonored, preaching the gospel is worth it. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council. This is talking about the apostles. Rejoicing. What? Reminds you, they just got beaten, and now they're released. Then he, they left the presence of the council doing what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Let me read that again. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That is here. That seems so contrary to what we would think. Let me read it one more time. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Church, the apostles knew the joy of being dishonored by the world. Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to start next week, were likely on their minds when they walked out of that place. Having just been beaten, they were rejoicing. And in the Sermon on the Mount, in the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew, starting in verse 11, Jesus says this, okay? Listen closely. Blessed are you, Jesus is speaking, blessed are you when others revile and persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed are you when you're reviled, when you're persecuted, and when people utter all kinds of evil against you. What did he say in verse 12? Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice when others revile you. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad when others persecute you. Rejoice and be glad when people utter all kinds of evil against you. This is what Jesus says. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. 
Why do we rejoice and are glad when we're persecuted and we are reviled? Because great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Your days here on earth are short. I don't know if you have one day or if you have 80 more years. But your days here on earth are short. Rejoice when people are against you because the gospel is great. And great is your reward in heaven. Right now, church, I want you to take a moment and introspect, reflect personally. If God called you to a closed nation to go preach the gospel where there was a strong likelihood that you would die for it, would you joyfully go? When you're at work and the Spirit prompts you to share the gospel with someone, do you joyfully do so no matter their response? Or is your heart so hardened that the idea of sharing the gospel with someone doesn't even come across your mind? Right now, evaluate yourself. What is true of you? This is the greatest news ever. Rowland Taylor was a reformer in the 1500s who, who came to saving faith and saving tr understanding the truth of being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And he, he would rebuke and argue with teachers who would say otherwise. And, and after some time, he was sentenced to death. This is under Bloody Mary's reign and in England, and, and he was sentenced to death. And when he was about to die, he, he gave his son a book. And in that book, he wrote the following. I say to my wife and to my children, the Lord gave you to me and the Lord has taken me from you and you from me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I believe that they are blessed who die in the Lord. God cares for sparrows and the hairs of our heads. I have ever found him more faithful and favorable than is any husband or father. Trust in him by means of our dear Savior Christ's merits. Believe, love, fear, and obey him. Pray to him, for he has promised to help. Count me not for dead, for I shall certainly live and never die. I go before, and you shall follow after, to our eternal home. This is on his way to his death sentence. This is what he exhorts and encourages his family with. This is just one account of many who died under Bloody Mary's reign. But these believers didn't just die because they believed the gospel. They died because they proclaimed it. They didn't die because they studied it. They, they died because they spoke it. If you stay silent about your faith, you stay free from risk in this world. It is when you speak about the things of God that you step into risk in this world. Even when dishonored, preaching the gospel is worth it because great honor will be given in heaven. Church, would it be said of us that we would have such great love for God and for the lost that we would dare open our mouths and share of the things of Christ? Would we be a church marked by evangelistic zeal? I myself am the result of men who dared open their mouth, who, 
faithfully and persistently shared and preached the gospel to me. I am forever grateful that those men did what was most loving to me, offend me by preaching the gospel. I am forever grateful that those men did what loved me the most, offended me, and preached the gospel. And if you're in here tonight, I'm not going to assume that everyone in here is a Christian. Maybe you've played the religious games, you, you come to church on Christmas and Easter, but you've never bowed your knee to Jesus. And the response to the question I used to ask Parker is when, when you ask that question of yourself and you, you ask, where will you go when you die? And if, if you say heaven, or if you say you don't know, if you say heaven because of your good works, I'm going to tell you right now, that's not good enough. You will never be good enough. And if you are in here right now and you have never let Jesus Christ be the Lord of your life, you've never surrendered every area of your life to him and bowed your knee to him, you were guilty before God. And the persistent preaching of the gospel, let tonight be that for you. As you hear this message of the life and death of Jesus Christ and the call to you to repent and believe, would you respond in faith? Would you wrestle? Would you count the cost? But would you respond in faith? Church, let's go from here, worshiping God and allowing this one truth to echo in our minds all the days of our lives. Preaching the gospel is worth it. Preaching the gospel is worth it. Let me pray. Lord, I am so grateful that you put men like Nelson and Johnny in my life to preach the gospel to me. You used them and you saved me. And Lord, apart from your sovereign will, I would not even be up here on this stage tonight proclaiming that same message to the people here tonight. And I just pray over our church family, Lord, that 2021, that we would be marked by evangelistic zeal. Lord, that the people in here, if they are not saved, if they've never bowed their knee, that they would wrestle with that. They would talk to the person they came with, or they, they would come find a person on staff, and that they would count the cost, and Lord, that you would save them. Apart from you, they're incapable of it. But Lord, would you save them? Lord, I just pray that someone in here who maybe has never shared the gospel, that in 2021 they would learn how to share the gospel and that they would love it and they would experience the joy of it. That you would allow people in here who have been preaching the gospel, that you would allow them to see fruit. Lord, that even every person in our church would get to see one person come to faith. We know that you're a big God who can do big things, so we pray that you would do that. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the sacrifice on our behalf. And pray all these things in Jesus' name.